fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors, leaders, and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service thermal imaging training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, LifeScan Wellness Centers, Saving the Lives of America's Heroes, Nesta Bars, the amazing new hand tool for the fire service, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, the Albemarle Sweet Shop, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Hello and welcome to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force. I'm your host, Steve Green. We're happy to have you with us if you're a new listener. We welcome you with open arms. If you're a returning listener, we're glad to have you back. We hope you'll enjoy the show. My guest today is firefighter engineer Brad Byan, and I'll tell you about him in just a few moments. We hope that you have all been well, and if you'd like to hear some of our previous episodes, you can just visit our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv, and just hit the word podcast on the top menu, and that will take you right to our library where you have over 150 podcasts waiting for you to binge on and really enjoy. We hope you will. While you're on our website, on the homepage, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a little spot right there on the homepage. And all we ask is for your email. We do not send spam. We do not sell or turn in your emails to anybody else. It's just for us. We just sent our first newsletter of our fourth season out. If you join now, we'll be happy to send that to you as well. If you ever want to unsubscribe, all you have to do is send us an email with the word unsubscribe in the subject line and you'll be dropped and you won't hear from us again. We hope you won't do it, but we have to let you know how to do it. If you follow us on Facebook at forward slash Dalmatprod or Dalmatprodfire, we hope you'll give us a like. We'll hope you'll be a friend on Facebook. Our Facebook friends have been growing and growing, and we certainly appreciate all of you who are now following us on Facebook. I always post on Facebook when there's a new uh, episode for you to hear. So if you follow us there, that's terrific. If you want to leave us a message, please feel free to do so. I'd be happy to respond to you. You can always message us, of course, through email at dalmatprod at outlook.com. And also, many of you use a podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., to listen to your podcast. Well, most of those platforms ask you or give you the ability to leave a review. And the reviews are very important, not just for us, but it's important for how the platform uh, displays where we are. And when people are searching for us, the better the reviews that we receive, the higher up we are in the search grid. So please, we ask if you haven't done so already on your platform, please leave us a good, strong review. But also do not be afraid to send us constructive criticism. That's just as important as everything else we do. And finally, 
Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, we hope you'll share it with others, and not just on social media, but you can also buy some of our souvenirs at our little store online with our friends from Teespring. You go to http colon forward slash forward slash bit, capital B-I-T, B's and boy, I-T, dot L-Y, forward slash Dalmat Store, capital D on Dalmat, capital S on store, all as one word. And when you get there, you'll find several of our T-shirts with different wording on the backs of the T-shirts, all the fronts are the same with our logo, and several mugs. You can choose the color of your T-shirts or your mugs, whatever you want. But the best part of you sharing our podcast using our souvenirs is that a substantial portion of the net proceeds are donated to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, Nemitzburg, Maryland. We've do- donated so far $150. I donate all the royalties from my book uh, that's available on Amazon as an ebook called uh, Fish Out of Water Two Jewish Guys in a Deep South Firehouse. And that all my royalties I've given over to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. It's a great charity for, for the fire service, and they help take care of the families of fallen firefighters. And so sadly, in this past week, we lost another firefighter, another brother, uh, captain in the Farmington, Maine uh, fire department, killed in a tragic explosion, many others injured. Um, and uh, we keep them in our hearts and our prayers that they will recover soon, and we will always remember uh, the captain uh, for his dedication and his ultimate sacrifice. And that's it, folks. So we'll be right back with our guest, Brad Byan, in just a couple of moments. Please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day, and that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs, and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained TIC manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com, your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 is the year to do it. Here's some of their upcoming schedule. September 25th. The New York State Professional Firefighters Health Symposium in Syracuse, New York. September 27th, the ISFSI Conference, Achieving Buy-In with Thermal Imaging. October 6th through 12th at Firehouse Expo, Nashville, Tennessee. Two hot classes on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday by instructor Andy Starnes and instructor Tom S. Anderson. October 24th, Insight Training Webinar Series continues. October 28th through the 31st, Train the Trainer with the Charleston, West Virginia Fire Department. November 5th, 
Classroom Hybrid, eight hours of tactical thermal imaging training, Lansing, Michigan. November 12th to 13th, thermal imaging for law enforcement, Hopkinton, Maine. November 15th and 16th, live fire thermal imaging in Hampton, Pennsylvania. And December 2019, Springfield, Ohio, IAFF Firefighters Conference. Be sure to check their Facebook page for more details. Remember, Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for tick training. The Firehouse Tribune, where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path, a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. Welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force. And as I mentioned earlier, my guest today is a returning guest. Uh, his name is Brad Byan. He is has nearly 15 years as a uh, full-time firefighter engineer and paramedic in Southern California. And he also serves as a public information officer on many of the large fires throughout California the last few years. Now, you've all seen those on the news, and we're going to be talking really directly about those fires and how the manpower comes together. Brad has been involved with many nonprofit organizations, including the Terry Farrell Fund, and is the co-organizer of the Stashtober, did I get it right that time, Stashtoberfest, which has raised over $100,000 in the last 10 years for a variety of first responders' needs. Brad, it's great to have you with us again. Thank you for making some time for me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, so when we talked about what we discussed today, you brought up a great point and as I just hinted to the listeners, is that when these wildfires and disasters occur in California, they make the big national and international news, and people watch them, and they see hundreds, if not thousands, of firefighters in there doing the best they can to control uh, and stop these fires or set up fire breaks, etc. But a lot of people don't know, how do you guys get organized? How are there so many people available to, to fight these fires? And you told me that they're called IMTs, Incident Management Teams. So why don't we start there, and then we'll, we'll just go from that point on. Yeah, so California is unique in that we have a uh, Master Mutual Aid Agreement, and that basically covers the whole state. So we'll have our state fire agency, which is um, run by Cal Fire, and then all the 
little municipal departments around the whole state are part of this mutual aid system in right. which these management teams can call on them to supply personnel to fight these fires. And there's also Cal OES that was formed, you know, back when we had all these big fires, sure. there wasn't a lot of personnel available or units available. So Cal OES uh, decided to provide some of these agencies with apparatus that the department supply personnel for, but they're obligated to be assigned and go to these fires once once they come up and are needed. Okay, so what you're saying is some of these stations get an extra piece of apparatus that they'll use specifically for a call-out on, on their IMT for this fire or disaster, whatever it is. Correct, and they'll be designated. So they'll either be a Type 1 um, engine or a Type 3 engine for, for brush fires. Type 1s are typically used for structure protection when there's a lot of structure threat. And they're a lime green color. They're a different color than the regular apparatus for that for that department. And they can be used, like you said, on a, on a daily basis for operations. But if they are needed for incidents, then they're obligated to supply personnel and, and go to those incidents when called on. Okay. So let's say a team is activated. And is it just going to be the firefighters who are on duty that day? Or do they have callback for that department? How do, how do they man everything that's needed for the crew, the crew that goes out? to meet CAL FIRE or CAL OES? Yeah, so, ty- so typically, and just speaking from my agency, usually that if it's a brush rig, that you know will be cross-staffed from the firefighters at that station. And those stations, those personnel know that if something happens, that they'll be going um, on that rig and they're obligated to go unless they can find coverage and somebody else wants to go in their place and they kind of work that out internally. That, that station with that unit is is the personnel that goes. And, and it's usually, you know, a lot of times they're called and say, hey, we need the call at 2 a.m. and say, you know, come up here as soon as you can. They'll get all together, they'll rendezvous at 6 a.m. at a certain point, and then it, they, they form a strike team, which is five like units. So all five apparatus from the region will meet at one rendezvous point mm-hmm. and they'll travel together up to the incident. Okay, well, that makes sense. So now, but that leaves that state, each of those stations down one crew, correct? Correct, yeah. So, the, so if I mean, if it's 6 a.m., the next crew comes in around 7 or 8, so there might be a one or two hour gap. If it's earlier in the day, then yeah, there'll be a callback. Uh, a text message will go out to every personnel and say, hey, we need coverage for this, for this station and positions covered. Okay. So this, it sounds like it, it's really laid out in a very sensible manner and that every, everybody, nobody's losing, actually losing coverage for their particular station where they, they regularly work. It's rather that there'll be the fill-in once one crew is called out to, to the incident to be part of the strike team. And then so there'll be another, either through the change of shift crew or if they're sure, you know, if that there's going to be a longer time, then they'll be, they'll do a callback and, and for volunteers to come in. And I'm, volu- I, when I say volunteer people, I mean for people to volunteer to go to, to answer that particular call, but they're still, most of them are going to be career firefighters, correct? 
definitely, yeah, within within the agency, they all are hired by that department and come back in to fill, fill those shifts and say, yeah, I'll, I'll come in and work. Right, right. Now, does the does this uh, the IMT system work with many of the any or many of the volunteer departments in the state? So, yeah, if, if the if the volunteer department is part of the part of the master mutual aid system, they can call on them for resources if needed. Now, I kind of backtrack. So, the master mutual aid is how we get our resources. The management of these fires is the IMT teams that you discussed. So there's six six incident management teams that are pre, I guess, pre-packaged with management positions. So there's about 41 positions and 14 trainee positions on each team, and there's six throughout the state. And depending on what's, what week it is, they'll have a rotation of who's on coverage for, for a call-out. So uh, okay. they... Say team three is on coverage this week. If a big incident, if an incident gets large enough to to uh, have an incident management team come and manage that, and it's gone beyond the resources of the local or county units, the incident management team will come in with all the resources of what an incident management team does that Cal Fire has, and some local personnel are on it as well. And, and they'll manage that incident, and they're trained and qualified for these these large incidents. Right. You know, it's it's funny because I remember I one of the reasons that I wound up becoming so interested. I was always interested in firefighting, but of course, for me in my day, it was the show Emergency, which um, you know featured yeah. L.A. County, uh, the new paramedic program. But in the show, um, and I think it was because of the the creator and producer, uh, uh, Mr. Senator, was that. He he used L.A. County as a great showpiece for the state of California and for what firefighters do because several of the shows dealt with brush fires, large fires, some of them larger and smaller, and you got to see how their station, the, the make-believe Station 51, was called in to work a brush fire, and they met a bulldozer on the way who was in there to claim from, from Cal Fire, et cetera. So... Although it's all changed, ways you know in the forty plus years since then, um, I think it what you've just explained really shows the uh, our listeners that th- that system can work. You can have a state as large as the state of California, as the third largest state in the in the country, and still um, have all this organization for the major incidents. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty impressive when they when they call these IM, so even the IMT team so that there's set, there's a set roster of certain positions and then within those positions those you still need more than the 41 and the trainees um, so they'll call, we have a, a system called ROS it's a resource ordering system and different people throughout the state are qualified. people in the state and then it kind of got Got a little uh, static yeah. in there. So you can get qualified personally to be um, like like I did. Take for example, I took a class and I became certified as a public information officer. Right. So when the management teams go to manage these and they need different people that are qualified for different positions, like logistics or staging operator or whatever it may be, they can use a system called Ross 
and order those, and that'll kind of get broadcast throughout the state to fill those positions for the IMT team as well for management. So, for example, on the Thomas Fire, which before the Mendocino Complex and the Ranch Fire that was in the Mendocino Complex was the largest, the Thomas Fire became the largest fire. We had, I think at one point, we had 75 public information officers handling that. Wow. Because like you said, there's tons and tons of information. Our, our number one goal for information is to serve the public and sure. give them as much information and accurate information as possible. But you also have, you know, the national exposure of the media to cover. You have community events to set up. You have um, some of the PIOs go out into the field and stage at um, high traffic locations to talk to the public. You have oh, that's very uh, interesting. video crews come in. You, you, you have dignitaries come in, VIP um, people, uh, as far as politicians, when it gets to that scale, you know, right. there's a huge interest in that. So just in the public information office, we had 75 people for that incident management part. Now you have your DINs um, damage assessment team, which became pretty large, especially in a campfire. You can imagine how many damage assessment people were needed that when 15,000 homes burned and they go to each lot and do an assessment on it. Um, so the management team even grows very large depending on the incident as well. Right. Now, um, now you're in Southern California. Are you in the greater, yes. greater LA area, greater San Diego area? Where are you? Uh, North San Diego County area. North San Diego County. Correct. Yeah. yeah okay. So you were caught, were you, you were called up for the campfire? So yeah, the, yeah, it was, I mean, Detweiler Mission Fire, Thomas Fire was was the biggest fire before the Ranch Fire, right. and then after the Thomas Fire was the the mudslides. So an actual an INT team was actually managing the mudslides as well and got called out for that. So it's not just wildfires; it's just large. I mean, you think of wildfires because California that's that's what you hear, right? It's major but it's incidents. anything. So yeah, when the Oroville Dam had its issue a management team that was kind of a, it's called a short team where they'll just send uh, certain, certain positions to manage it. But an IMT team was dispatched to the Orville dam situation to kind of set up emergency plans and mitigate that as far as the, the needs up there. Right. But typically it's, it's the wildfires. Right. It, you know, it's amazing to think that a state as large as California can put together such a logical organization to cover the entire state for major incidents. And again, I think folks, we want to stress, as Brad just said, we're not, you know, the, the California is, is basically famous as far as we're talking about the fire business for two things. They're famous for the earthquakes and they're famous for the wildfires. And it's just the wildfires, wildfires are just simply due to certain weather conditions and the drying out of the woodlands, and we're not going to get politically involved whether uh, you know climate change is real or not. But we know that there's different things happening in our weather that hadn't happened yeah. 10, 15 years ago. And so, ever I mean, you know, here I am in South Florida, and we just dodged uh, three hurricanes in the last yeah. month to six weeks, and now we're looking at two more. Because we're now in the peak of hurricane season. Now, we have our USAR teams, which, of course, are across the entire country. 
search and rescue teams that it's set up by FEMA. But in this case, that we're talking about, and Brad's describing for us, it's the it's the state of California, uh, their organization called Cal Fire, and the other organization is Cal OEM, the Office of Emergency Management. Cal, Cal OES. Yeah, Cal OES. And, um, yeah, right. And they work together and put together, yes, they still have the USAR teams that they use. I mean, we've seen them after some of the, the quakes and they go in and check, make sure people mm-hmm. have, are, are, are safe or anybody's injured. They'll, they will go in there and they're trained to get in there to do their work of any kind. It doesn't take a, a, an earthquake. USAR teams are activated for a collapse, God forbid, or in a parking garage yeah. or something like they- that. There, there are a ton of teams activated for the mudslides to be able to go in and systematically do their search patterns that they're trained to do and, and you know, mitigate a lot of that with the mudslide. Sure, because you just can't run in and say, hi, we're here and we're going to jump in and do this. You, It has to all be organized so that, number one, you, you, keep, you take care of the rescuers so they don't get hurt mm-hmm. so they can do their job, mm-hmm. which is to rescue the victims. Yeah. So, they use the grid pattern so they know where they searched and, you know, primary and secondary and tertiary type searches, their markings that they know, um, you know, being able to use use the dog. Right, uh, sure. If there was any, you know, sure. hit. And they so both, it is a big coordinated effort. Right. Different kinds of dogs, too. They have the ones for regular search for victims. Then they have the cadaver dogs as well. For you know anybody who didn't make it through it, and try to find them to bring them back for to their to their family, and I think that's yeah. you know that's an important job that I don't think people realize just how important these jobs are. That you know they think they often think within their, this local circle of their local fire department, and it might be a small mm-hmm. rural department or it might be a large municipal department like FDNY in New York, and they're all different ones in between. And then we have a lot of our volunteer. There are more volunteer departments in the country than there are career departments, and people often don't realize that. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's about 80% volunteers right. throughout the United States. Right, right. And, you know, we've already done a couple of shows on volunteers and some of the problems that our volunteer departments are facing, and we have one scheduled for later in the fall about it. But the oh, fact... It's, it's, it's huge, yeah. Yeah, it's It's huge. And with society changing the way it is, and, you know, oftentimes both parents working uh, at least one job each, and some of them, in some families, it's one family has one one parent working one and a half jobs, and sometimes they're both working one and a half jobs, and sometimes it's two jobs. But because of that, volunteerism in general, not just for the fire department, volunteerism in general is down in this country, not because people don't want to do it. It's because they just are so constrained by by what's going on in their lives, they don't have the time to do it. So they're they're working on ways, and we're going to discuss in the in the next podcast in in the fall, the panel podcast. We're going to talk about that model. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're talking about the fact that even in the state of California, with what the disasters that they're prone to, they have this this organizational chart, for lack of another term where everybody has a place, all the rescuers, all the fire departments, uh, all the people who have voluntarily gone in to be trained for specialties. Like Brad said, he went in to learn to be a PIO 
and he has served, as his resume says, he served as a PIO on several of these large fires in the zone that he was placed. And they can, with a call, when something happens, with a phone call and a radio call, they bring these people together. And I think that's something yeah, that... I mean, I w- good. I went all the way up to, it's called, it's called the Klamath on Fire, and it was on the border of Oregon and California, and we even had some representatives from Oregon come in, and it was kind of this mutual, mutual aid-type incident where we were working, Oregon had some needs, and we worked with them on their needs, they worked with us, and it was a very good relationship uh, on, on a border fire up there that we were just really worked well together, and it went really smooth. That's great. But you, 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 you touched on things where, you know, you think about the local fire department and yeah, they run, either they'll run the medical aids and they'll run fires and incidents there, but it's kind of how they say the firefighters are jack of all trades, master of none. You have <laughs> tons of people just within the fire, just within the local fire department that have, a, that will have a specialty in ropes or rescue or, a specialty in swift water rescue and they rely on those certain people as the subject matter experts within their local but then you go down to that on a on a grander scale like you said throughout california and they're bringing all these people that have extra expertise that you know these different positions are needed to run an efficient i mean you get i was, I was looking up the the fire acreage thomas was two hundred forty thousand. Wow. The ranch fire from the Mendocino complex was 300,000 plus. The campfire had 15,000 homes burned. Mm-hmm. I mean, the logistics and operations of those mass scales is, is intense, and you have to have an efficient system. So it's really crazy to see when you when you when an IMT team gets activated, all these people come together, and you'll literally have a city built in three days. I'm sorry, so, you'll have so what built in three days? Awesome. I, did, I didn't catch that, Brad. Sorry. What, what, what develops you, in three days? You, it's, it's called base camp. Uh-huh. So it's where everybody meets, and it'll be up in three days, and you'll have trailers there, tents there, sleepers for the crews, right. food set up. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. It, it is. And, uh, but, just everybody, but just everybody has that one specialized skill that they're good at and know how to work together in concert. And it just it flows and works. Well, that you know that's what that's a great you know concept when you think about it. That um, we don't play politics. Nobody cares when there's an emergency. If you're a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or whatever, the fact is that we come together to work to help our fellow man or woman, our fellow citizens. Yeah, you just go. It's like a regular 911 call. You don't know what it is. You just go and you mitigate the situation and help that person as much as possible because that's, that's what you're there to do. Exactly. Exactly. But the, the difference is, is that California has this, has gone through the, 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 the mo- not just gone through the motions, but has worked diligently to put together a system that benefits the entire state by using the best of the best and the knowledge that they've gained both through their the training that they've done on their own with their own department or taking extra classes and going to conferences and th- and things like that and and the regular firefighters 
as well who sometimes you know just have to do the grunt work and that's what has to be done sometimes you sometimes you're given that that hoe and the shovel and the backpack and the water can and you're sent out there and you got to do the grunt work while maybe you think well you know Brad's standing there being the PIO but that's because that's what yeah. he specialized in and you were trained yeah. in the in make, making a fire break you you learned how to create a fire break yeah, so I mean, I've been I've been on the units on strike on uh, strike teams. You know, '03 I was a reserve and was on the Paradise Fire, so I was on that for a week. The Rough Fire, um, and yeah, it's funny. Just it depends on what assignment you get because I'm looking at uh, one of my fact sheets too, and the Thomas Fire had uh, I think at the height of it 8,369 personnel total wow. personnel assigned to that fire. Amazing, and so. If you say a fire is twenty percent contained, I mean twenty percent of a two hundred forty thousand acre fire. That's a lot of miles of line. Yeah, and all that stuff needs to get mopped up. It needs to be, you know, cooled down. So some of those seem mean, like menial tasks, and depending on the assignment you get, but they're really important. Oh sure. In the grand scheme of things, so that other starts don't happen or it doesn't cross the line and start another fire somewhere else right right yeah you know i think i think that for many most of our listeners their 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 perception is one of two things either they've seen house fires or structure fires and they've seen on television they've seen the wildfires whether it's in you know of course unfortunately this year we've had wildfires all the way through california up to alaska oregon washington Mm -hmm. state Across into, um, I think it was North Dakota, has had some as well. They were fighting some, maybe South. So, the what firefighters do, uh, and and are often called upon to do, is way beyond what you see happening with your local fire department. And as we said, we're using California as this example because it's so well organized. We see it on TV. Those of us who don't live in the state, as a former firefighter, I'm just amazed by what I see, this organization. That's why when Brad tossed the topic up, I said, oh, absolutely. Now, maybe I was being a little bit selfish, and I want to hear more about it myself. <laughs> because I do find it amazing that a state, like I said, the third largest state in the, in the country, can organize these IMTs, these instant management teams, and then the strike teams. And then, you know, you're talking about uh, 8,000 people, over 8,000 people were being used to, to do everything that has to be done to manage the incident. That's the best way of putting it, because not everybody fights fire, but they all do something to contribute to uh, mitigate this incident. And sometimes it's feeding other firefighters. Sometimes it's helping make sure they bunk down and they get the rest period that they need so they don't overdo it. There's all sorts of jobs that you have to do in these on these emergencies, and this state has the plan all laid out. Now, it's something, for example, that I, I would say the state of Florida and maybe states up the East Coast could could learn uh, after the hurricanes we've suffered. You know, last year we had Hurricane Michael that came right through into the panhandle, missed us. Last year, we, we were two years ago, we got hit by Irma. And although where we where I am on the east coast of southeast coast of Florida, it wasn't as bad because overnight that Saturday night she made just a one degree jog, and it brought her south of the peninsula, went right through 
around the corner of the peninsula and then came up on the west coast and struck pretty hard on the west coast of uh, Florida where we have some good friends from the podcast, Captain Joe DeVito and others, uh, Benita Springs firefighters, etc., who really took a took a, 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 a hell of a hit when Irma came through two years ago. So there are lots of jobs. And again, um, I think the state needs to be given the credit for this type of organization based on the critical needs. You know, an assessment was done. And we said there were the ma- two major critical needs is the wildfires that are very common there and earthquakes. Luckily, the last few earthquakes over the last couple of years have not proven severely damaging or injuring. So uh, they go, the teams do have to go out and make sure the structures are, are um, solid and aren't in, are not in danger of collapse and haven't, their foundations haven't been impaired, stuff like that. But everybody ha- it still has to be checked. So still, you have emergency crews who go out to make sure people are okay. And they're they're getting along, and that's part of what this is. And I think, um, you know, this might be a good point to take a break. And then when we come back, we can get a little more, little more detail, maybe about the teams. You you started at Forest, maybe we can come back with a little little more detail, and uh, and and how these callouts go, and how Brad found out about some of his recent callouts as well. So we'll be right back with my guest, Brad Byan, in just a few moments right after these words. So please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door, where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside. You trust the SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. Remember when you were a young boy or girl and someone bullied you or teased you? Where did you most often turn to? Like many of us, you turned to your family. If you're a first responder, you probably no longer worry about those childhood problems, but there are plenty more that can affect us. Lack of sleep, the tragedy and horror we often see, even life's everyday stumbling blocks like family illness, money, and job problems, and more. So where do we turn now? Your gut reaction might be to keep it to yourself and not tell anyone about the hell you're going through. However, that's not going to help you or anyone else. Instead, you could start with your second family, someone you work with at the firehouse, on the ambulance, or at the station house. You spend a lot of time with them, don't you? 
and most of them understand many of the problems you're dealing with. Reach out to a coworker or an officer you trust. Speak to clergy of your house of worship. But don't keep it inside, gnawing away at you. That's not good for you or anyone around you. Know that there are people who stand ready to listen to you and help you without passing judgment. Remember, to carry out your oath to protect life and property, the first life you have to care for is your own. This message is brought to you by this podcaster. He's been there and done it. If you have nowhere to turn and need help now, text BADGE to 741-741. That's BADGE to 741-741. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force. My guest today is my friend and returning guest, Brad Byan. Brad is a firefighter paramedic engineer in Southern California, and he also serves uh, as needed when called upon as a public information officer, a PIO, on major incidents through the state of California's uh, incident management team program with CAL FIRE and Cal OES. We've been talking in general about a lot of what these teams are, how they're made up, how we get the personnel. But in this section, Brad's going to talk about that it's not just the firefighting community that comes in here and helps. Brad, why don't you tell the audience more about those who participate and help on these major incidents? So yeah, like I said, uh, very complex systems, a lot of people needed. So you do have your firefighters that have to put up a fire and manage that in the incident management team but we also have huge cooperation with the united states forest service depending on where the fire is and we have areas called sra which is a state response area so that's a cal fire responsibility then we have fra which is federal response area so sometimes these fires will they don't really care where the lines are obviously (laughs) they go wherever they want so sometimes we need to have a unified command and the federal uh, response areas, they have their needs for the federal side and they'll join up with the, the CAL FIRE side or vice versa. The CAL FIRE will go to the federal side if it started on federal land and starts to threaten SRA land and they'll join in a unified command to manage the incident. So they'll have the federal side also has IMT teams and 
there's different levels of IMT teams for local, county, statewide. So there's a level one, a level two, and a level three. Level three is kind of a local county um, personnel that will manage uh, an incident beyond the means of a, a local fire department. And then level two is kind of intermediate, and level level one is these large incidents. So both CAL FIRE and the feds have these different types of teams. But obviously the federal U.S. State Forest Service works on the national scale, and they can get deployed anywhere in the whole United States right. up to Alaska. And they're kind of managed through this system called the GAC, Geographical Area Coordinator that will send resources and types of teams to different fires depending on their needs. Um, but yeah, a lot of times we've worked in conjunction with the federal side and their incident management teams that come in and they'll have their PIO section. We'll have ours. They have certain needs that they have. We have certain needs that we have, and we just work together to, to mitigate those and, and make it happen. The law enforcement side is huge. So each management teams have, has a LILO uh, designator, a couple so it's a law enforcement liaison officer, and they'll, a lot of times the local uh, departments will come in and help. The county sheriff's department will come in and help. DHP comes in and helps because sometimes the, the California highways are impacted on some of these sure. incidents. And a lot of the time they manage access points. So when people need to get into an area and only fire personnel can get in, there's a lot of officers that will start an initial phase to help with evacuations. They'll set up access points. Um, sometimes the National Guard comes in if they're really big incidents to manage that and help out with that. So the law enforcement side is, is huge as well that help out with these. And then there's also the California Conservation Corps um, that comes in and they provide uh, a lot of times their, their kids and they come in and they kind of just do all the daily operations that really nobody else wants to do. They'll help hand out supplies. They'll bring ice to people. They'll hand out the lunches for the crews that are going out for their shift for the day. Uh, they'll clean the camp. They'll roll the hose when it comes in. I mean, miles and miles and miles of hose sure. that need to be taken care of that comes off the line. So they're a huge asset to these, to these incidents as well. So, Yes, I mean, like I said, a lot of coordinated effort, a lot of unified command and and personnel that help out right. different aspects of the, of the thing. And then we're also talking about, like you uh, mentioned, the con crews. Right. So the convict crews that come in, and they're a huge asset as well because, I mean, they, they booster the personnel and people that are needed, and they do a lot of the line work and go out there and cut the line and make sure that the green's in the green, the black's in the black, and it's down to earth and put a line around it. And they work they work really hard. And they're trained really well. Um, and that's run by the Cal, Cal Fire right. kind of thing. These camps that are set up throughout the state for for these crews that are get their special. I mean, we even use them on our local, local fires. We had a little two-acre fire a couple weeks ago, and they come out and they cut the line around it. And they, they kick butt. That's great. That's great to hear. And of course, <clears throat> I think because we don't see it on TV, the role of law enforcement, people don't really realize how important it is. But you have to think people when, when people are being evacuated because of a fire, that means they're leaving their homes and mm -hmm. their homes are unprotected. And so 
who who's going to protect them. So one of law enforcement's duties is to do what they can to keep an eye to make sure that the the, the wrong people aren't going coming into the zone that's being that people are evacuating from because yeah the the looting a lot of exactly a lot of concern with looting that people who aren't supposed to be in there so they help mitigate that and do patrols and and actually the sheriff off you know the sheriff department um is in charge of the the evacuations it falls under their authority for evacuations and, and repopulation obviously we work together and there's a lot of things for repopulation i can go in the whole thing about how that process works well you can talk but, a little you know, bit the about number it. one thing yeah let's let, yeah. let's let the listeners know about what it means so like i said i mean when the incident management teams come in it's there for the community we're there to bolster the local fire department the imt teams kind of come in with the mindset of we are now your local fire department we are going to treat you like your local fire department like you're one of ours and give you the best service we can possible. Uh, and one of the biggest things when people get evacuated from their homes, it's a huge impact. They're trying to find places to stay. Sure. Um, they need certain supplies if they leave hastily and don't have medication or there's animals left behind, which is a whole nother side of things. It's the animal control and getting people to help out and feed them while, you know, owners are gone. Right. And there's a huge community that support that and mitigate that. Um, but the the repopulation side, you know, these fires come through and they say, oh, the fire's out. We get, well, how come we can't get back in? Well, there's trees that need to be um, felled that are immediate threat that could fall. Uh, there's the utility lines. There's the, um, the, the roads and hazards that need to be mitigated. All this stuff needs to be checked off. And there's tons of meetings every single day to go through each one of those Caltrans, uh, public utilities, the cell phone towers, and um, telephone line company, and just operations to say, hey, this area's cooled down, it's safe to go back in. So once all those are checked off in these meetings, and on the campfire we had them twice a day, one in the morning and one in the evening to go over this and make sure that all these areas and what the next step was. And our number one goal is to get residents back in, but we want to make it safe. We never want to put residents back in an area that's unsafe for them and that we would potentially have to bring them back out because maybe the fire, you know, might seem miles away to them, but there could be a potential of, you know, maybe there's a wind shift or there's spotting or something. And then we just have to bring those people back out again, which logistically is a lot to do and we don't want to do that to them. So sometimes it seems like it takes longer um, than normal for the general public, but there's a method to it and there's reasons for it. And, they're not just doing it because there's there's the safety life safety hazards to right. deal with. Right. Then then on the flip side, when when they repopulate, you know, we have to think about setting up waste disposals because their fridge has been turned off for over a week or two, and they have all that spoiled food. So the county will work together for free dumping times and stations where they can bring their food and and dump some stuff, and then just working with. Red Cross and other state organizations where they can get funds and set up uh, a local assistance center because a lot of these times, you know, the insurance companies are involved or whatever it may be, setting up local assistance centers where all these resources are in one area Mm -hmm. that residents can go to and get information on how to kind of get life back on track and the resources they need. Right, right. And I I think that um, 
folks, if you've never been through a a major disaster like a hurricane, an earthquake, or a fire like we saw over the last couple of years in California, these huge fires where all these homes were destroyed, everything that people owned were gone. You just can't turn around and return to normal. It, there's just there's no you don't see have normalcy in your vision for weeks if not months after one of these and if not if not years for if, some people yeah exactly that's a good point and you know also one of, I'm sure one of the group people one of the group of, of workers that come in are called upon during these issues would be people who can do counseling people who are trained counselors yep. so that because it's traumatic First of all, it's traumatic to be forced out of your home that you have to evacuate. Sadly, we see those, for example, here with hurricanes who are right on the coast who decide they're going to ride it out. Oh, the, the weather guys, they always blow these things up. And sadly, all too often, these are the people that have to be recovered because they didn't make it through the, the emergency. And you have people who have to do that as well. And so there's such a traumatic effect but it's nice to know that, you know, right now we're just talking about the state of California. And I'm sure other states, you know, the state of Florida has its, its plan for hurricanes, as do the Carolinas and Georgia and the coast between Texas and uh, the Florida panhandle. They're, they're just going through a Melda now. They've had a hell of a time with a Melda the last couple of days. And it should give you at least some solace to know that there are thousands of people out there who are ready to dedicate themselves to help you in an emergency. But it has to be a two-way street, folks. If you're ordered to evacuate, you don't start arguing and, and trying, I want to see the paperwork that says I have to evacuate. Okay, well, here's the paperwork. You see, it's burning right up there. That, see that smoke there? That's the paperwork. <laughs> That's your paperwork, and it, it should be here within the next hour. So you want to sign on the dotted line and get out of Dodge or not. And, you know, there are people like that. But the people yeah. who come to help, like Brad and the people he works with, are there, as he said, to serve you. That's their job, is to serve you and your needs, starting from the moment they're on scene till the moment they're dismissed and they can return to their regular lives. And that can be weeks yeah, for was, some of them, right? Yeah, I was going to bring up that point where the evacuation thing for the general public, you know, I, I totally understand some people, some of these areas, they've built these houses with their own two hands and don't want to see them go. But the our our first priority is life safety. Right. Second is property. Third is environmental. So when we put these evacuations out, yeah, please listen to them and evacuate. Hopefully, you can get back in. Hopefully, if it's a short time, uh, they don't take the evacuations lightly. They understand the impact of it. But if you don't evacuate, and then rescuers have to go in and rescue you because you get in a bad situation, you're putting both your life at risk and then the the firefighters extra, you know sure. extra risk at trying to rescue you because you didn't heed the warning of the evacuation so yeah please please if 
evacuations come, heed those warnings, you know, it's, and we know there's an impact to it, but it's, it's for your protection and life safety. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's probably the most important thing that all this that we're talking about, everything we're discussing today is to help the citizens, the, the, the communities that are being affected by these emergencies. Even Brad just said, they, his, his department had a two-acre fire recently, and they got brought in people to help, to help mitigate the fire hazard. Because if they didn't, and it grew, who knows what it could have gone. So their job was to stop that fire before it could impinge on, you know, a neighborhood or a group of houses or anything like that that would force an evacuation. And then then it becomes, you know, the dominoes falling one after another to get the job done to help the people who live in those areas. And that's what these people are dedicated to. And whether it's we're talking with Brad today, but there are thousands of people involved between the state of California, the federal government, law enforcement, both uh, local, st- county, state, and federal are all there to come in and help you when it's necessary at your worst time. And I think that's that's yeah. the, the carryaway message. Go ahead. Can, yeah, this, take a minute. can I just mention, though, how you said other, I mean, we've talked about a lot of resources that sure. come in and help, but, you know, local fire departments, just on that two-acre two little fire that might happen at your local department, we don't have helicopter and air attack and those come in right away so they have the air attack is amazing and help out tremendously on these fires and one of the really unsung heroes of of these wildland fires is the dozer operators right when they when they when they go in ahead of a fire and start clearing out breaks and they have a strategic plan of how to kind of like i guess dictate where the fire goes I mean, hopefully the brake's big enough to where it won't jump the line. And sometimes that happens when we hit these, you know, huge fuel loads and big winds. But right. the dozer operators out there to put the lines in work nonstop around the clock and help mitigate the the suppression of fires immensely. And they are awesome at what they do and do a ton of work to help us. And we pretty much just come in behind them and, and clean up the line and try and catch the, the head of the fire. But, you know, the air attack are the ones that can go and actually, you know, drop water or protect homes um, from aerial side on the head of the fire. We can't get in front of it. Obviously, we kind of come in and, and flank it and wrap around it. Um, but, yeah, those are those are huge assets and resources that are used on these fires. Right. And we've seen that. That really don't get talked about a lot. Exactly. You might see them on the news, but you may not realize the effort it takes, for example, they're the two. They're the two super tankers. The, there's one DC-10, and there's another 747. Mm-hmm. That uh, matter of fact, the 747 was re, re, just I think it was last week or the, the, just the end of the week before, where they flew down to uh, to South America to help with the fires that were yeah. in um, I think it was Bolivia, right on the Bolivia border yeah. with, uh, with the Amazon, and so they went down there to do it, and they can drop I think it's twenty thousand gallons of uh, retardant or water at one time. But the power of those airdrops to help stop a fire from progressing or putting enough retardant down that it doesn't even, it can't catch. It comes over there, but everything is coated or it's so wet is 
so critically important to those who are on the ground. Everybody on the ground that Brad just said, from the dozer operators and the the crew, the strike crews that come in right behind them, those air attacks, and they use everything from small planes to helicopters to the super tankers. Helicopters, right? Yeah, two hundred fifty gallon buckets up to the super tankers. Um, Seven forty seven. I was actually on one of the fires, and we hiked up probably a mile, seventy. 70 degree grade. It was right behind a dozer line, which made it even harder because it made the, the dirt like silt. Um, but we had to put in a, a pumpkin, which is a portable water uh, pickup for helicopters. But as we crested the top, it was all worth it because we had a huge air tanker come over the hill, drop right down and take the angle of the mountain and pull out. And just to see that it's it's impressive when you see it up that close. Oh yeah, how I these, imagine how these pilots manipulate these aircraft at such low altitude. You don't expect them to, to maneuver like that, but yeah. It's crazy. Uh, plus, of course, they one of the things that that the average person doesn't know is that there are very crazy winds that are generated by these big fires. And these, oh yeah, they create their own micro environments of right. winds, and if the if the cell collapses, that's what usually when firefighters need to work that worries you know they create these huge columns and columns and if that cell collapses it's this downshift of wind that goes in every direction yeah. so that's why we have lookouts watch out we have micro weather forecasts over the radio we have national weather service come in fire behavior analysts that are always monitoring it uh they're now even using drones to sure. to to help out and view certain things and hot spots in different areas through infrared system so the technology is is improving as well too to help us right right and that's the most important thing that as technology improves in the fire service and the fire service embraces it then that's going to allow us to better serve the people we care for Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's an amazing um setup and that's why i was so glad you brought it up to to discuss because it's not something that number one i haven't heard it or or seen it posted on any other podcast and um, I think it's important that people understand that you know it's it's way it goes way beyond your local career or, fi- or a volunteer fire department folks in your community when there's a major emergency your locality their mutual aid your county your state and then the feds all work for one purpose whether it's a blizzard whether it's a fire whether it's a hurricane, they all work for one purpose, and that's to take care of the people. That's what it boils down to. These people give up of themselves. I mean, if you think that it's easy for Brad to leave his family and be I was, gone. I was gone for three, three months out of the year last year with all the big fires. Three months. Three months away. Total of three months. Total between, three months. Between the mud slides and then the fires during the summer yeah and how old's that little one that uh, we heard at the beginning of, <laughs> of our phone call <laughs> he's, he's three and a half three and a half so yeah. imagine you know little three and a half boy who, who loves his daddy and his daddy's gone you know three months it, it's got to be tough but they do it because they love what they do and they and they dedicate it. they have that passion in their bellies to take care of other people and that's the most important thing we want you to walk away with is that these people aren't there to hassle you or give you problems. 
The people are there to protect you. Now, if you choose not to be protected, that's your choice. You know, that's that's yours. But you also have to be willing to accept the circumstances once those who want to help, wanted to help you have to leave to go help somebody else. And that's also very important for you to listen to and understand. And just because you call them back later, well, we changed our mind. Can you come over right now? That may not happen. That may not happen. Mm-hmm. So as Brad said, heed the warnings when they come out, whether you're here with coastal U.S., with storms, uh, whether it's fires in your area, it's earthquakes, whatever there is, don't, don't look at the people who are trying to help you as bad people. They're giving of themselves lots of time, time away from their families. You know, it's not like these guys don't face problems as well, emergencies as well. How many, last year on the campfire, we know for a fact there was a national story of a firefighter who left to fight the campfire and came home to find his house gone. Nothing but the slab was there. Yeah, we, we had we had one of our public information officers who was out on the fire in Santa Rosa and lost his home. But I do want to say, I mean, I've been all throughout the state, like I said, almost to the, or actually to the Oregon border. We right. actually went into Oregon uh, from Wairica, Ukiah, in Montecito, Santa Barbara, Santa Rosa, Butte County, San Diego. The, the overwhelming support of these communities that, you know, know that what we're doing and what we're sacrificing and out there helping them for them, it is in, it is heartwarming and it's humbling to see the support that these communities give us when we, when we go to these incidents and, and help them. You can't go anywhere without somebody saying thank you in the local community or somebody trying to buy your dinner or <laughs> the amount of food that comes into the camp that's <laughs> baked goods. It's not good for the diet, but it's, uh, the support is um, the signs that are up at, on the fences. It's, it's humbling and heartwarming. And that's, the yeah, love and support there is, is awesome. That's a great way to tie the bow on, on this package, you know, is that when yeah. you do see that, that's that's it. That's all you need. They make it, yeah, it makes it all worth it. Just a simple thank you and and them them understanding what we're there for. Right, right. Well, thank you, Brad. This has been really eye opening, not only for me, but I'm sure for for the listeners. I'm sure very few have have had the idea of what it takes to handle a major emergency, and and California should be co- really greatly complimented for the fact that. Over the years, knowing what they face, have put such great organizational skills together to weave a, uh, a cohesive group of organizations, of disparate organizations, really, uh, to come together, work together day in, day out, night, day in, night out, etc., to, again, help the citizens of the state of California. And it's a great model. It's a great model for for us, for other states to use. Uh, we may not face the same type of emergencies, but we all do face organizational emergencies where we need lots of different types of people coming in to help. And this is a great example of what we can use. Yeah, that's what's nice about the system. It can be implemented into any type of incident right. and utilized. Right, and that's 
that's real important as well. Yeah, because and in, and the infinite command system is used throughout the United States. It's kind of that mass mutual aid or an agreement sure. of working together of different agencies. That California is a little unique, and you know we've had we've had people from Australia come over and learn and and uh, get educated on it and see how we run and operate things. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of I don't know a lot about the other states and how they operate on the the mass scale, but California is is a little unique in that sense. Right. Well, we you know one one thing I will add is that we know our FEMA USAC crews who are located all over the United States. Um, ours mm-hmm. ours recently our USAR team three I think it is down here in South Florida where it was pre pre positioned uh, in Puerto Rico. When Dorian was headed over, and um, yeah, we, we got a lot I know of Task Force State, right? Exactly. Yeah, Task Force State out of San Diego came out, and they get prepositioned and are ready, and and they're doing a lot better as far as like you said, prepositioning. So if there's a if there's a high wind event or if there's something that they know coming, they'll preposition these these people whether they utilize them or not. I mean, they're ready so that the response there's not a lag in the response time, which really helps out. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Situation easier. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, again, Brad, thank you so much for your time today and the information you shared. Um, I can really appreciate. No I can really appreciate why you chose PIO because you do have a way of explaining it very clearly and concisely when you talk about it. And of course, that's what a PIO has to do. You know, they got five five hundred microphones shoved in their faces and three thousand <laughs> cameras surrounding them. And they have to be able to put up with the constant barrage of questions and to know what information you do give and what information you don't give. You seem to have that talent, uh, whether it was just a course or part of the natural you. Either way, it comes through when you, when you, do, when you talk about it. So I see you as a, variable, a very valuable asset to uh, this program. And and thanks for having me. It, my pleasure, and okay, you always sure. have an open open invitation whenever you want to come back and talk about something else. You know, love to have you, and uh, you know, stay well, uh, stay safe. We'll we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. Definitely, you too. All right, thank you very Take much. Care. All right, folks, we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. You are listening to Five Alarm Task Force news and issues for today's first responders. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You show up for your shift, but you're not feeling 100%. 
You greet your colleagues with a smile, but you just can't put your finger on it. I'll shake it off in an hour, you think to yourself. You take in a couple of nothing runs, but you're still not feeling any better. When you get back to the barn, you throw some cold water on your face and think, yeah, that's more like it, and head back to the day room. With training scheduled for after lunch, you make yourself comfortable in one of the recliners. But as you sit there, you feel ill. You start to sweat, and you feel nauseous. There's a pain in your left arm that you've never had before. Hey guys, you call out. I'm not feeling. And your voice trills off. Your eyes close, and the darkness surrounds you. More firefighters die from cardiovascular health issues than any other reason. Don't let self-pride get in the way of taking care of yourself. See your doctor on a regular basis and be sure to advise him or her that you are a firefighter. Don't be a statistic. Be a healthy firefighter with a long career. For more information, visit the IAFF, the NVFC, or the IAFC-SHS website. Hi, folks. As you well know, that this program is very much dedicated to firefighter health, wellness, fitness for duty, and of course, the firefighter cancer and behavioral health initiatives. I want to bring up a little information for you in this edition of my view. Uh, just to let you know a couple of things that are going on to bring to your attention. Very important. This this podcast is dropping on Monday morning, the twenty third of September, two thousand nineteen. This Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, there will be a a webinar available to you regarding decon, decontamination, and how we as firefighters can protect ourselves from contamination, from PFOS, PFAS, uh, and other toxic carcinogenic materials when we're on the scene and doing our job. And even after we're done, we come back. So if you'd like to watch this webinar, you have a choice of watching it Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. The website to go to is https colon forward slash forward slash source one mro dot com forward slash firefighter dash decon dash webinar. I'm going to give you that again. https forward slash I'm sorry colon forward slash, forward slash, source1mro, altogether one word, source1mro.com, forward slash, firefighter-decon-webinar. And that webinar will again be available the 23rd, the 24th, and the 25th. Also, news that broke on Friday was that we have a very important legal occurrence going on and that we have a bipartisan effort from Senator Gene Shaheen, a Democrat from New Hampshire, along with Senator Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado, Colorado, are filing a bill in the legislature specific to the problem of PFAS. Those are cancer-causing chemicals that are in our turnout gear. Now, I'm sure you've heard that the manufacturers have constantly denied that they have any connection to any of the chemicals or carcinogens that have been found through testing, through exact testing in our turnout gear, both brand new gear that has never been used, never been on a fire scene, and gear that spans a 20-year time period of having as having been used. 
This testing was done by Dr. Graham Peasley of Notre Dame. He's a He's been a, a guest on our show before, and he's going to be coming back with the results of this testing that he has uh, done on the PFAS in firefighter gear. He received samples from manufacturers, again, from uh, over 20-year span to very absolutely brand new, never exposed, never used in a fire whatsoever. However, we also know that in an effort like this, the manufacturers pay a lot of money for lobbyists to be in Washington and to stay on the uh, right on the cutting edge with the legislators to have them turn down these bills or vote against them, etc. The fact is, there are 1.2 million firefighters approximately in this country, both volunteer, about 70% or so, a little bit more, and career firefighters. And every time they put on their gear to come and help us, you, me, they are taking a risk. They are taking a risk. Sure, they know they may be going to a house fire. They may be going to a major accident or something like that. But just putting on the gear, they are taking a risk. And we cannot allow that to happen. These people give of themselves. Whether they're career volunteer, they're all professionals. We give of ourselves as a former firefighter to answer the call when you call us and you need us. And we come there. The last thing we want to worry about is that the gear we're putting on to protect us can harm us. Imagine that if you went to a job where there were dangers involved, but you worked in an office and you thought you were far away, imagine that if lots of the stuff in your office was made by the products, the dangerous products they produce, would you want to work in that environment? Well, that's what happened. It is happening to firefighters. And not only is it happening, but it is taking a terrible toll on our firefighters. And again, when cancer strikes, it doesn't care if you're a career or a volunteer. It strikes you and your family, those who love you and those who are your friends. It strikes all of them. And we have got to do what we can to put an end to our brave men and women who are serving in the fire services, local, county, state, federal, Wherever they serve, they should not be afraid to put on their gear for fear of being contaminated with cancer-causing molecules and chemicals. That's the bottom line. So please, if you want, we're going to put this story on our website, on the news page. Uh, I'll have that up by uh, Monday morning. And please, go look at the, go through the links, look at them, watch their news conference the announcement, and then help us by being a supporter of this program. So how can you help us? Well, you can help, of course, by doing what you can publicly with your representatives and senators uh, from your, your, your state. However, what we'd like to do is we'd like to see numbers. This is what I would like to do. And my dear friend, Diane Cotter, whose wonderful husband, Paul, a former firefighter with the Worcester, Massachusetts Fire Department who was struck by cancer once he retired. She is at the forefront of this fight. She is working night and day, as is Paul doing whatever he can to support this effort to stop this danger. So 
What we'd like to see is if you are willing to help by voting, by supporting the bill, by watching the the links that we're going to put up on the website under the news header, we'd like to see numbers. So how do we see numbers? If you send us an email to dalmatprodoutlook.com, I don't need your name. I don't need your address. All I want is to say, yes, I'll help the cancer initiative. That's all I want you to say. Yes, I'll help the cancer initiative. Or you can contact me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is dalmatprod. And on Instagram, at dalmatprod. You can find, find me there. Send me a tweet, a DM, an email at dalmatprod.outlook.com. Say, yes, I'll help the fight against cancer in the fire service. That's all I want. We're not going to give your email list away to anybody else, just like we do with our newsletter. This is just internally so that we can show what kind of support we're getting from the community. And you don't have to be a firefighter to send this. You can be a concerned citizen who cares about the firefighters in your community and you want to help. So again, you can send an email to dalmatproductoutlook.com. You can send a DM or a message either on Instagram or on Twitter to at my handle again is dalmatprod. Okay? Dalmatprod. Just let us know so that I can pass on to to Diane and we can start putting these numbers together. We want the government to see that we are, we need this legislation. We need to protect the brave men and women who protect us when there's an emergency. Okay? That's what we're looking for. So we're looking for your help, your help, no money, no donations. We just want your help, that you will one day go out there. When you get the information, you're going to support the legislation. You'll contact your legislators your representatives and your senators from your state to say, this is important to me as a voter. Please protect our firefighters. That's what we're looking for. Okay? So thank you for listening, and please give us a hand. Send us the messages. Let us know how many are out there. And that's my view. We'll be right back. If you've been a regular listener for the past couple of years, and you know that we're coming to fall season, you know what that means. It means the Great Florida Fire School is coming back. That's right. The Great Florida Fire School will take place out in Fort Myers from October 22nd through the 26th. It's a great time. It's a very inexpensive uh, week, part of a week for you to get some great training, uh, not only from some terrific instructors, but to talk with colleagues from around the state and around the country who come in for this program. We have great educators. We have great instructors. There's live uh, training that's going to be done on several of the days as well. If you want to get all the details for the Great Florida Fire School, just go to their website at www.t as in tango, g as in golf, f as in foxtrot, f as in foxtrot, s, tgffs.org. Remember, not .com. It's www tgffs, as in Sam, dot org. You'll get all the information. You can register right there. The Great Florida Fire School, a great place to learn about your firematic practices and what it takes to be a firefighter today. We'll be right back. 
Have you ever thought about what brought you to the fire service? For some, it was our parents or grandparents. You know, a family thing. For others, it was the flashing red lights and that screaming siren. Me? I hadn't even thought about it. See, I planned on becoming a rabbi. A rabbi? That's right. But somewhere along the way to that goal, I wound up in bunker gear and riding a tailboard. Not only that, it happened with the fire department in the Southern Bible Belt. Sounds crazy, right? Well, if you like to read stories about the fire service and want to know how a kid from Boston wound up as a volunteer firefighter in North Carolina, pick up an electronic copy of my book, Fish Out of Water, Two Jewish Guys in a Deep South Fire Department, on Amazon. I tell my story of growing up and thinking I knew where I was going, but a turn of events brings me to North Carolina with a combination fire department just a mile down the road from my home. Stranger still is the fact that when being voted in, the guy I sat next to was also Jewish, and 40 years later, he's still my best friend and a business partner. Together, we share stories from being rookies to exciting calls, some firehouse fun, and difficult responses. Read about some tactics that were way ahead of their time, and others that we probably never would use again. Just go to bit.ly forward slash NC firefighting, all one word. And remember, I'm sending proceeds from this book to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Stay safe and enjoy the ride. Every year, over a million fires burn in America. Fortunately, firefighters are on the job, saving life and property, and you can be a part of it. Seven out of 10 firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Your community needs you. Are you ready to answer the call? Learn more and find local volunteer opportunities at makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force. We'd like to thank our guest, firefighter engineer Brad Byan, for joining us to discuss how the state of California uses IMT's incident management teams. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on all the top podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training LLC and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, LifeScan Wellness Centers, Nesta Bars, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, the Albemarle Sweet Shop, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod.outlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatprod or at cause underscore origin, and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatprod or dalmatprodfire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcasts, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website at www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and let's make sure everyone goes home.